Hey, you're listening to Blindsight. Let's go. Mental health isn't something to take lightly. It's time to fight. It's time to thrive. Let's do this. Hello there. This is Blindsight, your program on mental health. I'm your host, Bill Lundgren, and we're going to do some more work around uh, talking about depression. With And joining me will be our producer, Jonathan Price. And Jonathan, thanks for being on board again today. Yeah, thanks. It's always fun to be here. And uh, I will let everybody know that it is nice and chilly outside and I do not have a pumpkin spice latte and I don't like them. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) I do have my coffee, though, so I'm ready to go. Okay. Now, we have to let everybody know that if you want to give feedback, uh, we have AINcolorado.org. Is the place that you can let us know some feedback or questions or whatever. Uh, the new new offering that we have, and we're still working on getting a phone line, but uh, that will come. And also that uh, come January, uh, AIN will become uh, have a new shorter name, AfterSight, which many of you will know from. Uh, Penn Street program, which was such a great program, and they decided to make that a great name for the the system, make it easier for everybody to remember. So we're we're moving forward, little by little. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, when we talked the last time uh, about depression, we talked about a book that. Uh, Jonathan is in the midst of reading for the second time, uh, called The 4-8 Principle. And we talked about, and in fact did on the air, uh, five of the suggestions that, uh, that are in the book. But I wanted to put a little word of, of caution with that, because the nature of depression, particularly the severe kind, People uh, suffering from a period of depression, I say period because it does seem to wax and wane, but when they're really deep in depression, the last thing that they want to hear is some suggestion for getting better because they think, you Mm -hmm. know, when you're in that depressed state, you know, you have trouble getting out of bed, you're feeling blue, you feel like yeah. everything's hopeless. It's what uh, Seligman talked about, learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. So you come in, you with the caretaker in the family, uh, a spouse or a concerned family member, and say, hey, look, this is what you need to do is read this book and follow the principles in there, and that'll make you all better. Right. Well... You know, that goes over like a lead balloon. <laughs> yes. And the, the, this is the reason, you know, and I use those kind of principles, as I said last time, uh, particularly two of them. And that's one of the reasons I limit it to just a couple, because sometimes if you just say, well, look, how about if we just do one of the questions, 
and you do it for a set period of time. Let's say for the next week, every day you uh, ask yourself the question, you know, what am I grateful for? And you come up with, uh, let's say, three, four, or five ideas of what you're grateful for at the end of each day and see how that goes for you. And usually the principles are quite sound and, and oftentimes just having one is achievable. You know, even to keep us, the person who's depressed to keep the uh, caring person quiet, they'll do at least one. And then you see how that goes and maybe uh, as we go along, start adding some more uh, things to think about to help move out of that depressive mood. Now, if even one proves very difficult, then you got to look at, okay, what else? And one of the things, again, that Jonathan talked about, talking to someone that you trust that's not part of the family who will just listen, oftentimes that will help. One of the things we can ignore is that depression can be biochemical. And uh, even the fact that some of our foods will uh, create depression. You know, we talk about sugar blues for a reason, Mm -hmm. because a lot of sugar in our system can produce some depressive symptoms. And sometimes just changing our diet can be sufficient to to change things. Uh, I've had cases of people who have been in relapse or been in uh, in sobriety from addiction, from some form of uh, substance abuse, who said, look, I feel really, really crazy because I have these urges to use. And when we talk about what's going on, one of the things that comes up frequently, well, you know, I've started to eat candy bars like crazy, which I normally don't do. <laughs> Bingo. Right. Yeah. And Whoops. I've asked people to just not to have any candy bars. I know it's tough. No candy bars, you know, uh, do baby carrots instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they come in in the next week and said, the urges are gone. Yeah. C- candy and sugar. <laughs> candy and sugar feel. Uh, <laughs> forgive me for saying that. It. I don't even know where I want to go with this because candy and sugar, the, what you put into your body is so important and substituting like sweetened creamers or candy or something for something healthy does have a huge weight, a, a huge effect on what you do. Not only in the actual nutritional value Right. Of what you're eating, but in what you were saying, the mental mindset and the, the behavior patterns and the um, things like that. Uh, not to mention, it's just good for your health to cut out sugars. Well, one of the things, Jonathan, it was my birthday last last weekend. And, of course, somebody had to bring a cake and ice cream. Right. And uh, they, they came over to my place and brought dinner. And unfortunately, uh, when I looked in the refrigerator the next day, there were the leftovers of the cake and the ice cream. 
<laughs> and yes. I'm ashamed to say, uh huh, they no longer they uh, within 24 hours they were gone. Of course but, they were. <laughs> yeah, but fortunately, I you know I have a rule. I just do not have that kind of stuff in the house because I'm really even though I can be you know, uh, self-righteous and say as a therapist, oh, don't do that. Uh, I don't, I don't listen to my own right. advice. <laughs> For sure. Oh, yeah. well, you know, we're, as, as doctor, you're your own worst patient. Right, right. But, but I know how powerful that can be. Mm -hmm. And even when you know that it's not good for you, uh, there is that tendency now with the case of the people I talked about where they got that connection between their urges to use again after a period yeah. of sobriety and sugar. That's enough of a wake-up call that says, okay, I've got to pay attention to my diet, but I think all of us need to look at, as you're saying, Jonathan, all of us have to look at what it is we're eating to make sure that it's doing uh, the best for us. And that includes our kids. Because I know it's real hard to deny kids uh, the things that they see around them all the time, all the advertising. But it's also like Jonathan was talking about his kids uh, doing the uh, list of fives that, that we shared last week which is good training when the, for kids to think in a positive way. Well, it's the same thing we have to do what's really hard for kids to restrict sugar and anything. And we see at the opposite end of the spectrum, and this is partially related to, to sugar, uh, when we... Uh, don't watch our diet, we can also get into periods of hypoglycemia, which is mm -hmm. low blood sugar. One of the culprits for that, it can be coffee. You know, if you yeah. think about it, coffee raises your blood sugar and it drops like a, like a rock. And so mm -hmm. it drops, then you're ready for another cup of coffee and you yeah. get into that same cycle. The same thing with, uh, with, any of the sugar foods, you get that drop, you feel mm -hmm. hungry, you feel nauseous, you may feel depressed, certainly uh, blue. Right. And the that just keeps the cycle going. So if you moderate or eliminate some of this stuff, then your blood sugar is going to stay fairly level, which means that some of the depressive symptoms are not going to be evident. You know, I think we have to keep in mind, and it varies from person to person in terms of their response to certain foods. So it's good for people to pay attention to that, particularly if they have a mood shift for some reason with certain foods, there may be something going on they need to pay attention to. But yeah. the depressed person, as I say, the person who gets locked into this, I feel good, nothing will work, uh, this all or nothing thinking, uh, mm -hmm. if, uh, if their visit with somebody that's a friend is not working, then they need to think about not necessarily uh, medication, 
but at least talking to a professional to kind of try to isolate what if there's anything uh, that is going on other than their internal mechanism in producing the depressive symptom. And sometimes just by going to somebody, whether it's a friend or whether it's a professional, means you're moving forward. You're moving Mm -hmm. out of that uh, pit that can be called depression, where you don't feel like anything is going to work. Now you're taking a chance, even when you uh, decide to pick up the the 4-H book, Mm -hmm. uh, to, I'm beginning to do something to get out of this. And this is where... uh, the battle for depression begins to move when we mm-hmm. feel like there's something that we can do. And, you know, that's when we have to have, you know, certainly we have to have some help with, uh, for, with someone to, to move forward. But by being able to move forward, you then begin to uh, see the depressive symptoms reducing. And, and that's really, really key. Uh, and also, you know, as you move out of it, to then take a look at uh, really what a lot of what we're talking about is the uh, stinking thinking that is uh, right. putting you on this uh, depression uh, spiral. And well, that, and the foods that we eat, can also send us even further into that spiral, even though they may be well-intended. Right, right. So even if you're trying to eat health more healthy and you find that you keep having some of these negative thoughts and you're just not feeling quite like yourself, you may want to go seek a doctor, a nutritionist that right. says, I, I, I keep getting, I'm eating healthier, I'm healthier, right. I'm and but I still feel blah. I still yeah. feel like this is happening and I don't want to feel like this and maybe doing a nutrition workup is, is beneficial because yeah, like you were talking about, there's some major chemical reactions going on in your brain that a lot of people have no idea just how incredible that is. I want to shift really quick if we can, because when people hear medication in uh, depression diagnoses, a lot of people will say, I don't want to be on meds for the rest of my life. And I don't want to become dependent on medications. What do you say to those people? And how do you kind of navigate the idea of going on medication? That's an important point because uh, medications, unfortunately, have been overused. And Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of being on antidepressants forever is really more of a myth. Right. Uh, in a lot of in a lot of instances, there's some that are safe, you know, and people take them. Uh, they find that they work. They don't have any uh, reaction, to, uh, negative reaction to it in low dosage. But basically, what you're trying to do is jump start when you're caught up in that depression and you're having trouble getting out of it. Uh, some medications are giving the jump start to prime the pump mm-hmm. to get people to uh, do the other things they need to do, positive thinking, and to understand 
that they don't have to live with this symptom forever. Yeah. And that's the important thing, because when you're in it, you think uh, this is forever. Just as you might think, if I take medication, I'll be caught up with that forever. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. The ideal situation is that you get uh, a different way of thinking and working. And that's when, you know, to to say to someone who's deep in their depression, well, you got to work out. Well, that's, or even to take a walk, that's the mm-hmm. farthest thing from their mind. Yeah. And sometimes having medication helps them to say, okay, I can walk or I'll work out or whatever. If they can't do it uh, by themselves. And you see, so often when someone is in this depressive uh, thing, it's a shame factor. Oh, you know, I can't do anything. And they think, mm. you know, that, you know, sure. I'm a terrible person and, you know, uh, who would want to be my spouse or whatever, uh, you know. But you want to move out of that shame cycle and say, okay, wait a minute, I'm taking this medication to in order to get me moving, and hopefully I can get, I won't have to take it for a long period of time, but uh, I've got to do something, move forward, and then you see, when you start to talk about what's going on, that gets rid of the shame, and the yeah. shame is one of the barriers to seeking treatment, yeah. or even to admit to a family member that I'm caught up with this thing called depression. And uh, and and I don't and it, it helps to reduce some of the anger too, because you know, somebody trying to force you to get out of depression, they feel like they can't get out. So they mm-hmm. get PO'd at the person yeah. who is trying to make them better. And then there's there are fights in the family because then the person say, well, you're not trying hard enough, which is absolutely the worst thing you can say to somebody who's right. depressed. So I, I've seen depression firsthand and in all the love and the grace that I can possibly possess, nothing could get that person out of a depressive state or I, I can't tell them you need to go get therapy. You need to go talk to somebody. You need to do whatever. What would you say to the family member or to the person who may be on the fence or verge of thinking, I might be a little depressed. What would you tell them into taking that first step? Because in my mind, the first step to overcoming this depressive nature or this depression is a willingness to step forward and to change something. Yeah, well, that's that's why, you know, as a therapist, I'm in a, a better place because just by coming to see me, they've taken their first step. Right. Even though they're skeptical it's going to work or they've been corralled into doing it. But mm-hmm. what, what I suggest, and we talked about this in intervention, uh, and we'll continue, you know, whenever we talk about intervention, timing is everything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just uh, your first step as a family member is to encourage the, the person who's feeling depressed to t- share what they're feeling 
not make any judgment, but just saying, okay, what's going on? And then you can see some opportunities. Say, well, here's a small step, like we talked mm-hmm. about uh, yeah. doing the, the gratitude thing. This is, has worked for some people. So sometimes you can just offer one small step at the right time. That's, that's not going to seem o- overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, let's try this. Rather than getting angry and pushing and say, oh, you've got to go see, you know, that the I think the really di- the frustration the family member feels is I can't get the person to move, sure. yeah. and so maybe by yelling at them they'll do, and that does, really makes it worse. But if we say, you know, we listen to them and say, well, tell me more about what you're feeling, you know, mm-hmm. what, and if if the there if the person is not willing, say, okay. I, I'm hearing that you're not really comfortable talking about it, but uh, I want you to know that I'm ready whenever you want to to listen. I don't want to tell mm-hmm. you what you do. I just want to listen. Mm-hmm. And have if you would share with me what it is that's going on for you right now, mm-hmm. then you, are, as the person who's not caught up in depression, may be able to find that little key that'll open up yeah. The, the first lock. But I think the key and the thing is to allow the person to uh, pick the time and place to be able to do it. But make sure they know, you know, I'm not going to judge you. I just, it would help me to know. I can't, I can't go into your brain and see what's going right. on there. Yes. But if you can share with me maybe we can find something that will will work here. And in that way of being supportive or as uh, talking to uh, a clergy person or talking Mm -hmm. to a friend, you know, to get the, because depression, if there's a lock on it, it doesn't go anywhere, it just stays where it is. But if you talk about it, then you begin to break break some of that and become very that's why that's why you know a talk therapy works because you get an objective person who will listen to you not make any judgment mm-hmm. and leave you an opening to be able to talk about what what you're thinking and sometimes just by listening to yourself then some of the keys become apparent yeah the, the hardest thing for all of us is to understand that there is a line, a circle, so to speak, that we reside in. That's called a boundary. Yeah. And the other person resides in a, a circle also. And as much as we may care about them and want them to be better, we have Zippo control other right. than leaving some opening for the person to come up with a solution or, or mm-hmm. kind of encourage them to try a few things and uh, find out whether it works. Because the person, this is the hardest thing, the person, even no matter how close you are to them, the person has to change. You cannot make them change. You can invite them to change. You can show them how to change. You can mm-hmm. encourage them to change. But ultimately, it is their 
decision to take those steps. Absolutely. And all you can do is just make it easier for people to take that step and keep your fingers crossed that they actually do it. Because like everything else, it really is dependent on my deciding that I want to do something, not whether Jonathan tells me to right. do something, you know? Well, I, I, I'm going to jump in because I, I have this phrase that my dad used to tell me when I was little. And he would say, Jonathan, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But then he would always put on the end of it, you can salt the oats. And one of the ways that I have learned to salt the oats, and because what happens when your mouth gets really salty or when you take in a lot of salt, you want to drink water. Yeah. And you want to rehydrate yourself. And so one thing that I have seen work is the not just kind of moving away from the talking about it portion, but actually going into the physical action and say after dinner, like um, you're sitting with your friend and you're like, hey, I'm going to go for a walk after dinner. You want to come with me? Yeah. Or and just making it not a let's go work out. You need to go work out. It'll change your mindset. Well, right. one that's going to smack him over the head with a brick. But if you are gentle and say, hey, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm just feeling a little like achy. So I would love to continue our conversation. Can we go for a walk? Yeah. Great. Fantastic. And well, then, but doing these actionable steps, even right. if you have a friend or you yourself may need counseling, say, hey, I'm going to go to counseling and I could really use like a, a buddy. Would you mind going with me to a counseling session? And just so I can help get some things off my chest, because yeah. I like there are some ways to not I don't want to say manipulate, but there are some ways to encourage through action exactly. to allowing that friend to be a support, the de the depressed friend or a spouse to be a support because they still may want to be there for you. They right. still want to, they have these desires that they want to be fulfilled and they just need an outlet to do it. And sometimes when those desires are fulfilled or the salt is quenched by the water, right. it then becomes a, a sense of, Oh, I can do this. I feel better. Right. How do right. I feel better? And, yeah. and one of the things that you're reminding me, uh, to get, particularly in Colorado, uh, to get someone, someone to walk with you in the woods, in a trail, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the In Scandinavia, a lot of the mental hospital, mental health hospitals, are, have uh, made it a part of their program is to take patient to have staff take patients walking in the woods because there is something about being yeah. in nature that changes yes. everything well, it changes and we've been able to rhythms. measure that yeah yeah being in nature whenever yeah. i'm hunting or whenever i'm camping I, yes. I i come back the most refreshed of any time even though it's hard work camping or hunting yeah, it is that it's incredibly hard work and a lot of people don't realize that but when you come back i feel completely refreshed i feel yes. energized i feel excited yeah. and it's i i don't know what it is outside of just the rhythm of nature and being so close to something that was that's right th that's right there in front of your hands something that's growing that's living and you're you're feeding off of that that well, I, that experience 
I think the Native Americans that talk about our being connected with nature, and one of the things about the Industrial Revolution is that we've uh, uh, produced a barrier to being connected with nature. And some of the research, there's a wonderful book out uh, called Nature Fake, which Mm -hmm. talks about this kind of thing. One of the things in uh, project areas, you know, where low-income people live, Mm -hmm. they've been able to to identify two uh, projects, uh, that is, places where people live. One has... Uh, a lawn and trees, and mm-hmm. it's a very, you know, has a lot of, uh, it's sort of a mini Cheeseman Park outside there. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, the, in the courtyard. And then there's been a very similar uh, building with concrete and no, na- no trees, no garden, right. nothing. Yeah. And they found that the violence level for uh, the the one that is without any uh, vegetation is much higher than uh, than in the area same environment same people mm-hmm. uh, than where the uh, vegetation is where people have a chance to go out and be uh, be within the trees and there is something that we can't quite label yet but that Nate being in nature does. For our whole being, and that becomes a very important uh, thing for people to keep remembering mm-hmm. in order to help themselves. You think uh, people in that's why people in uh, New York City are are the way they are? Yeah, <laughs> that, that's what they're that's what they're finding. If, now, if, if you're from New York, I'm sorry that was a that was a cheap shot, but it I love the analogy because you uh, look at I mean. In actuality, look at the geographical locations of people who are the happiest in the United States. Right. People in the Midwest. Right. People in the, the South. Rural, rural areas. The rural areas. Oh, yeah. We're happy, happy as clams. Yeah. Yeah. And and part of it is being that thing of being connected to nature. And in if there's somehow there's something that goes on. And we're we're really starting to explore it more now, because there is definitely something that's there. Mm-hmm. And so if we, you know, I feel fortunate in having a guide dog because it forces mm-hmm. me to go out and take him out, and he, you know, I have him off leash and he's yanking me all over the place, which I'm not right. supposed to do. But he's right. having so much fun out there, and I'm, I'm having sure. fun too. Yeah. Because I'm out in nature, and that, that really is the, as you say, it's refreshing, and, and and it's so little, especially in Colorado, it's so mm-hmm. little to get you out the door to a place where you're getting uh, energized in nature. So the mm-hmm. idea of let's take a walk is really a lifesaver. I started participating in my kids um like roughhousing and playing and laughing and sarcasm and to embrace the joy and the livelihood of a child instantly instantly made me feel a million times better yeah and i don't know the 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 joy 
that my kids have in everything they do. I mean, from reading a book to playing with, you know, GI Joes to jumping on the trampoline. I was jumping on the trampoline last week with my kids and my kids were like, dad, you're jumping on the trampoline. It's like, I know we didn't know you could, I know it's because we've never had one, but, and then I did a backflip and my son's eyes lit up and it was the joy on their faces and just tackling each other and playing and getting back to just playtime. We're adults. Yeah. We don't want to play and we don't, we think playing is beneath us. We think playing is a kid's thing. No play as an adult. If you can play. Well, you see, one of the problems as it was out of the pandemic, people weren't getting out. And, and yep. we're, we're uh, reaping the, uh, uh, the problems with that, particularly mental health issues for adolescents. They're not playing anymore. They no, kind of lost something being on the screen and yeah. the social uh, with the iPhones and so forth. And they're disconnected with nature. They're disconnected with play, yeah. and we're reaping the uh, the results of that. Mm-hmm. And well, know, it's a people... false sense of um, it's a false sense of connection. It's a false sense of community yeah. or right. learning, problem solving. Right, right, and it's also the feeling that they don't belong anyplace, and you know there's a uh, stress on oh you've got to produce, 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 rather than being encouraged to play. Plus, they have judgment, uh, you know, oh, this person on social media looks beautiful, and I don't look anything like that, and I compare right. negative. The thing is to get away from that and begin to see yourself in a, an environment where everything, where they're okay, where, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can watch the birds, they can play with the dog, they can be on a trampoline and not worry what people think of them. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's, that's true. That's, and you see, that is, that's where a lot of the mental health issues are coming from. You start with, when you lose that childhood joy. Yeah. And you begin to compare yourself with other people and you have expectations, you have expectations placed on you, uh, then it's kids have not learned how to deal with that. And their brains are still developing. Mm-hmm. It isn't your brain doesn't fully develop till you're 26. Mm-hmm. And some people I know, and their brain didn't even develop then. But that's <laughs> Mine's another still whole not story. developed. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, jumping on the trampoline, I'm not sure that was the smartest thing or most developedly brain thing I that could was a do. Very, that was a very intelligent thing that you did to jump on the trampoline yeah. and get out of that adult. Yeah mode that we yeah. need to get out of it every once in a while it's it's a pain in the butt to be an adult sometimes oh it is and we feel responsible for the kids we feel responsible for this and that and that's draining and so when we can be someplace where we're free feel free of all of that mm-hmm. and being outdoors is a major place camping as you say or yeah. Or just hiking in the woods. We're yeah. free of all that feeling of responsibility, unless we're a park ranger. You know, right. and they they're out there, but they you know they're responsible, but they still manage it because that environment is what's keeping them right. healthy. Yeah. Well, it's important to make sure that you're engaging in life 
And even if you feel like you need to be on the couch most of the time, try to engage. If you have kids, engage in what they're doing and pull them into what you're doing. So if I'm cooking a meal, have your kids help you or have somebody help you do something together because that community, that sense of relationship will will more than likely help your attitude and your behavior, especially if you're doing it as somebody um, you're happy to be around. So um, as we, as we wrap up, Bill, what is, what's a final thought you have when talking about depression? The the other, the other part, and I just throw this in because we had a whole program on loneliness Mm -hmm. and how detrimental that is. So uh, this is the, the other piece in finding other people, as you say, to go, go walk with the whatever, to break the loneliness, all of that. It, you know, first you have to get into a mindset where you think you're ready to listen and look at some alternative to just mm-hmm. wallowing in this depression. Yeah. That's number one. And people can help you little, little bit just to try a little thing to get moving, because once you you see some success, it breeds more success, and that's how we begin to move out of depression mm-hmm. and can give ourselves a chance to understand. Well, what is this? Dep- what causes depression? What is it that, uh, you know, that that the depressed thinking that I've developed is it something biochemical that I need to do something about? Is it the way I've been thinking about a particular problem or whatever? Sure. Or just not being lonely, or move, you know, just not moving my body the way nature intends for us to do. There's a lot of things that we can do rather than feeling that learned helplessness. Right. And I hope that this has been helpful to people who are listening in. Uh, I wish you the best. Thank you, Jonathan. And we will be back next week. Uh, and remember, if you have any any questions or suggestions, to uh, email us at uh, aincolorado.org. And, you know, we, we read anything that people send us. So we look forward to connecting with you again. This is Bill Lundgren, and this is Blindsight. Thank you. Thank you.